Welcome back to the experience. Today, my guest is Casey Davis. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me, Eric. Appreciate you. You um, too. Me and Casey are members of Toastmasters, along with uh, our good friend Alex and uh, Marcio. So that's how I met Casey, and um, I'm just going to let her go straight to it. She's been busy doing a lot of stuff for the city, probably more than some people would even realize, and um, I just want to show the world that uh, she's an amazing human, and I'm just grateful for her to be on my show and like tell us what she's doing. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Eric. Yeah. I've really enjoyed meeting everybody in Toastmasters and starting our own little community there. It's been really an important part of this journey, too. For sure. When, when, when did you tell me you started? I know I asked you like two weeks ago. I think I've been in Toastmasters six weeks now. That's wild. Yeah. Because you didn't come across like that at all. No, but I definitely need more knowledge and more training across the board. What do you what do you think it's helped you with so far? Like what was like what was your original goal and what do you think it's helped you with like so far within six weeks? Because I know everybody's like Toastmaster quest is different. So I was told to join Toastmasters to work on the the mic situation. Okay. You know, a lot of people get stage fright or a lot of anxiety having to just deal with the microphone, whether there's people listening or not. For so. sure. For sure. It's not easy. No. And there's no microphone in Toastmasters, which is weird. So yeah. you're really just presenting and... Well, yeah, it's public speaking, right? And public speaking. Yeah. That's uh, why I joined it, just because I saw what it did for Alex. And um, believe it or not, I know a lot of people that used to be a Toastmaster. Like, you know, and I'm kind of like, oh, I didn't know. I thought, like, I knew about this. But no, there's like a lot of people out there. There are. I like... Um when I was first told about it, I Googled it, and there was just tons of different groups across town. And right. to just choose one is like, you know what, I'm just going to put this off until it falls in my path. And sure enough, I meet Marcio, and he's yep. part of Toastmasters and yep. guides me right in. So That's awesome. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to Tuesday's meeting because I missed from going on my little uh, getaway that I took. But um, I definitely feel like I've been getting a lot out of it. And it's been helping me <clears throat> with like being in here. And uh, so I'm just looking forward to it. Your speech was pretty powerful two weeks ago. You know, you were talking about wanting to change the city or, you know, wanting to help change. I mean, the world, essentially. So at least that's what I got out of it. Yeah. So I wrote that back in last year in July before I even started any of this other stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I wanted to just rewrite what was already there in my own opinion. Okay. And that was taken from the preamble of the constitution. Wow. So I think that we are at 176 failed attempts for a constitutional convention. Okay. The original constitution was created with a convention of people. So it was created during a constitutional convention, and we right. have not been able to do it again since. Why do you think that is? We have so many amendments. I think to rewrite it, you'd have to incorporate all the new acts and laws that we've put into it. So it would be very cumbersome to put together something that everybody can agree on. How long did that uh, the original one take? Like if it was a convention, like a few days or like an entire day or... 
I would say it was a long drawn yeah. movement. Yeah. yeah. Part part of the beginning of the United States sh- here. Should have paid attention. Yeah. Um well I have hope for humanity and I have hope for the city, especially after like meeting somebody like you and seeing how passionate you are about what you're doing. So for folks obviously that don't know, what what have you been doing? You said your quest or your journey kind of started at the beginning of COVID when you started or like what you, so, you break it down. Yeah, during COVID, like everybody else, you know, you're kinda at home and doing your own thing and being taken out of the hustle and bustle of going to work and doing just what you had planned and set and all your commitments Mm -hmm. and all that's taken away and you're just kind of free to do whatever you want so for sure uh we had an ebay store in that we were kind of working on and we just went full force with the ebay store and we were selling magic cards clothes backgammon chess sets you know you name it if it's good in the in the thrift store right and it flips well it gets taken home and shipped out how, how did you get that idea to do that i know i asked you that earlier in the lounge but like did somebody like say hey you should like sell some of this stuff or did you just think we had some magic cards mm-hmm. from the mid 90s some early pieces um i think it was beta beta set okay and some of the cards were going for three four hundred dollars a piece some two hundred dollars a piece so think we made our first two grand within two weeks off of maybe 10 cards that's crazy yeah and then from there it just started being like everything well yeah going into the thrift stores and finding pieces that sell well once yeah. you kind of learn the ebay app and you can look it up look the item up in the store gotcha um finding disney lounge fly purses that are limited edition you know, spend 10, 15 bucks on it, sell it for 600. It's a little bit of a thrill to it. That's wild. Yeah. People pay for crazy shit. Yeah. Like people just like, I guess if it's valuable to them, they, they'll pay anything for it. It's very true. Yeah. That in it, you know, to me and you might think it's worth 10 bucks, five bucks. Yeah. So once work started back up, I wasn't able to put in eight hours a day with the eBay. So it just became storage space in my house and I was kind of getting over it yeah and we're still you know riding on a small salary from the eBay store just shipping out I'm not even listing anymore I'm just shipping out that's awesome so you basically created your own business out of your house during COVID correct that's great yeah and and what did that like stem to where like you're at right now because you've been working on a lot of stuff So there was a lot going on. We had a couple of deaths in the family that were really traumatic for everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one was a single car accident, 21-year-old about to graduate college. And there was no answers on to what happened just by himself. And it just happened. And um, he had a lot of support at school. Everybody, it, it just really hit everybody hard. He was an Eagle Scout. Oh, wow. So part of what I'm doing now came from his passing. I would go to his, um, I would go to the cemetery regularly to bring flowers for his parents and his grandparents to just let them know that I'm there. But while I was there, I was talking to him constantly. Right. Because I am a firm believer that our ancestors and our loved ones are still very close. And 
I just felt like I was getting messages. I started taking photography. I started taking pictures while I was in the cemetery. And that just continued as I went across the city. I would start just taking pictures of the churches and the architecture and um, playing with the settings and just posting them online. Hmm. Interesting. So now you started a new hobby. Because like you said earlier, you, you you start a lot of stuff. Yes. Yeah. I don't like to sit still. Yeah. I'll, I move, know the I'll move on pretty quickly. <clears throat> you get bored easy, right? Yes. Right. But for something to take your time and your brain and like want you to continue to keep doing it, it seems like what we were talking about earlier, which I know you're about to discuss, seems like that's kind of got you and you're kind of like stirring on it right now. Yeah. So we had another death in the family. I had a cousin who was two years sober, um, had to take the edge off, and overdosed. Must have been laced with fentanyl, and it was just quick and shocking for everybody as well. And she was a strong one. Mm. You know, she went through a lot in life that I didn't have to experience, but she had a better outlook than I ever did. She was always happy and humorous and just made everybody laugh, so... When she passed, I really tried to take on a lot of that from her, too, to just put the smile on your face and just know that life is tough and you're just going to have to stick it out and go with it and just enjoy it. Correct. Life's going to happen to you on life's terms. It's how we react. Yeah. And it's not fair. Um, So it sounds like through these two deaths, you've inherited this like new way of living a little bit or in a sense. Yeah, so kind of like taking on the roles of your ancestors yeah. that, that you've learned, what you've learned from the people that have passed. And sometimes it takes a passing for you to to really understand what they were here for. And when things got tough for me, I was I just didn't know what to do with it. And I had a moment where I had to just stop and pray and ask for forgiveness for just being angry and I rate and just ask for forgiveness for everybody else that just put me in that position because I felt like I was standing still and everything was just happening to me. And there was an immediate response. There was just a energetic, hot wave that came over me, and I had no more pain in my back. I had a lot of energy. I was outside cutting grass. The dog was, my neighbor's dog was barking ferociously. And I had been singing to him while I was cutting grass and it just really wasn't working. So I just had to stop and stand still and just ask for help at that point. And it was just a moment of peace and a physical effect with lasting change. Uh, I was able to see better, hear better, understand more, and just be grateful that there was a source that was interfering. And whether it's our relatives that are responding or something greater, there was definitely a response. And within, so the next couple days, I was just kind of following the now. If something Mm -hmm. was in front of me or available, I would kind of just gravitate towards that. Uh, Started writing immediately, and I was 
kind of in like a hyper state where right. I just, I didn't want to stop. It was just full flow. Wow. So I just kept writing and kept writing and kept writing and started sending these um, to people. I couldn't save it for myself. It was kind of just a message to get out. That's wild. And I didn't know who to send it to. And I had, uh, my grandfather passed in the late eighties Okay. and he was a judge for traffic court and working for the city. I figured I have to kind of keep it and work up the chain. And I just really wasn't sure what I could say and what I couldn't say about what was bugging me. Mm -hmm. And so I just stayed really positive and just really profound and just started just putting it out there. Like, like on the internet or what was you doing? I was emailing all of our city officials, state (laughs) officials and federal officials. Right. Saying, Hey, this is how I'm feeling. Because it was so spiritual. I wasn't sure who that message was for. And I didn't want to benefit from it by myself by saying that it was just for me. So I wanted to try and spread the message that we need, we need change. I think we can all agree that we've been all affected and agitated a lot lately. That's why that day you spoke, I said, holy shit. Uh, I heard what she just said. I felt like you were talking to me. I wanted to send it to our officials because I figured maybe they can be a voice for me. Mm-hmm. And... doesn't work that way. I can't do anything alone. Correct. And I don't have that attention or that following to be able to get my word, my point across. And within an, within a couple weeks, I started interviewing the homeless. And that's when there was a, lot of information coming in that was just a lot to handle a lot to process you started learning things i started learning things yeah new things things that you probably couldn't imagine right so i was kind of going towards city hall and um there was a homeless encampment in in a in a building and just kind of seeing them getting run out of building after building that they don't belong in I was going to go try to go into city hall and figure out, you know, what's going on and why are they doing this? But then I saw them out in the park across the street. I was like, well, well, let me go ask them why they do what they do Mm -hmm. and what's affecting them. And I just went on to this interviewing mode where just whoever I bumped into, I was just like, what are your grievances? What do you need more of? And meeting some individuals that are unhoused, I had no idea the barriers that they have and the things that they need to get to the next step. Mm -hmm. So it was a lot to take in. I still don't understand it all. Yeah. And that's why we have all of these organizations and programs and they understand it. All the social workers, they yeah. have their head wrapped around it and they yeah. might specialize in certain things like housing or behavioral health. But 
for the individual on the street, they have no idea. You know, they're just being told what to do. And half of them are on the street because they don't want to be told what to do in the first place. Right. And who who's normally like talking to them? Like it's like social workers go out there. These organizations go out there. Like, is that like kind of how they get like, because I know you said word in that uh, world travels fast. But like are officials actually going out there and like saying, hey, there's this place y'all can go eat in the mornings. Like, uh, what do they call that? Um, so we do have a pl- couple places. The Rebuild Center. Mm-hmm. We'll feed them breakfast and lunch Monday through Friday. And then we have the New Orleans Mission that will also house them and feed them breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They kind of spread the word themselves a little bit. Yeah. And they do have some outreach workers, but we were at seven outreach workers when I started this. There was 400 unhoused, and they were still coming into town. So. The couple that I started interviewing first had been in town for two weeks and hadn't been approached yet. So to see that the disparity that we just don't have enough help mm-hmm. um, professionally to reach out to everybody regularly, that was an eye-opener. And since last year, our outreach numbers have doubled. So we do have more people on the street now reaching out to them and connecting them with social workers. And we have churches that go out and feed them. And all this stuff has been happening, but yeah. the awareness is growing. Right. Well, you hear people talk about, you know, mental health. It's such a big thing now, right? And um, it's always been there. But a lot of people make it seem like those people have mental illnesses. And, you know, so they can't even, like, take care of themselves, and that's why they're out there. I mean, but, like, you've, like, firsthand interviewed people, and I'm sure you got, like, different stories. Like, what was your assumption? Is just, like we talked about earlier, like, everybody has a different upbringing, right? Everybody everybody. has a different upbringing, and a lot of the unsheltered unsheltered people have different stories and backgrounds. Yeah. Uh, there's one gentleman I'm talking to now that uh, his house burned down. Right. Wow. So. And that's just like, pff, that was it. And he's staying at a shelter and, you know, just doing everything. But you can't stay at the shelter all day. So yeah. you're doing all these other things and reaching out to all these nonprofits that are willing to help and feed you and shower you and, you know, help you get an outfit. And it's a lot of work. Yeah. So it could be as simple as you getting in a car accident tomorrow and it costing more than your rent and you can be in the same boat. Right. And then trying to get back out of that hole, obviously if they lose their job or something, then it's kind of like, what do you do? Yeah. So you probably would lose your job if you don't have a place to shower. Yep. And once you're in that position, there's an order of operations. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to go here for a shower, here for a meal, and it just seems like this endless cycle of trying to stay on track. And this one gentleman I interviewed early last July, I went and talked to him. He had just been robbed the night before. So a lot of people don't know the homeless rob each other constantly. 
Yeah. They may not bother you all the time, right. but they bother each other constantly. They right. know each other well. They know where you sleep. Right. And when you tip somebody off, they're coming back <laughs> for revenge. That's so, so and not only that, but they're bumping into people they don't even know. They're yeah. stealing each other's wallets. So yeah. as soon as you get your ID, you need to go get another one because you probably lost it already. Wow. And I mean, did you see... You know, because everybody's always like, oh, they're probably on drugs. Did you see like as much of that or would you say it's like a 50-50? Like some people aren't on any drugs out there and they're just like that guy in the car wreck or lost his house. I'm yep. sorry. So, I mean, I'm sure like not everybody's out there tweaking. Not Some everybody. Guess, no, you know? there's definitely um, a variety. Yeah. <laughs> and good, not good everybody's on drugs. Um, a lot of them who are are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not to say that yeah. there are some people that are living comfortably in the house that are on the same drugs. There's plenty of, uh, what do they call that in the program? Uh, functioning addicts. That's right. Yeah. Plenty of those. I know a ton, but you know, they do, they might just be one more week away from being in the same boat. Yeah. You know? So the first couple that I interviewed, their names are Steven and Ketty Van Antwerp. And they had a pit bull with them. Wow. And my husband had worked on the show at Pitbulls and Parolees. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know why I was just drawn towards the dog. <laughs> right. You know, so I went into the park. They were the first couple that I talked to. And uh, Stephen is an ex-National Guard. So there's a lot of backstory. Mm-hmm. To why he is the way he is right he's very structured but sometimes you go through things where you feel like you just you need to have full control so steven had told me a story that he had pulled a bunch of children out of a burning school building when he was on on duty and i can just imagine how that messes with you in the middle of the night for sure so both him and his wife have trouble sleeping and feeling safe at night and the story with them over and over again was they needed to be together in the middle of the night and have their dog their pit bull was a service animal okay that would help wake him up when he would have night terrors oh wow so going into a shelter was out of the question Right. Because not only would they be separated as husband and wife, but the service animal, surprisingly, was also a big issue. Gotcha. Just because he was a pit or just... Because he's a pit. Yep. So just like the homeless are discriminated because right. they haven't got it all together, we have pit bulls at the same time that yep. are highly discriminated against. Yep. They don't fit the, the narrative, I no. guess. And not all of them... Are sweet most of them are yeah i mean I've, I've known tons in my life that were great i mean some of the best dogs some of the best dogs and i've also seen chihuahuas make people bleed you know what i mean so it's it, it could be any animal i would say 99.9 percent .9 of the time i would choose the pit bull over the chihuahua yeah if a, if a if a chihuahua was as big as a pit bull nobody would probably own a chihuahua no. you know or, or a yorkie or really any little dog i mean it just you know they have little dog syndrome, you know, they're, they're small, but mighty and they have to protect themselves if they feel threatened, you know? Yeah. But 
That's unfortunate. Um, what you said you started this in July of this year or last year? So this I started interviewing them at the very end of July last year. And so you've been at it for over a year. Yeah, and after talking, I kept going back. I yeah. was like, this is this is really a lot of information and I, I don't understand hardly any of it and yeah. I need more. And for the most part, they had figured out because they had been living through this for years. Wow. So they were teaching me and I'm trying to see what I can do to help and I really need more information to help at all. Yeah. And did you did you feel kind of helpless? for them like did you feel like oh i'm not gonna be able to help these people or like what did you feel at that time i <clears throat> felt like i was making a difference because there was nobody else out there spending hours and hours on end just gathering information for them and you know their social workers are doing a lot of a lot of good things but they're limited to certain aspects of helping them whether it's finding housing or setting them up with services there was nobody really advocating for them, um, getting all the information of why won't you go into a shelter and what puts you in this situation and what are you trying to do to get out of it. And we started doing the numbers and just with their opinions. And they we had probably 15 people gathered around us within yeah. two weeks. Oh, wow. All homeless people, when they would hear what I was doing and just writing down information, um, we had about 15 of them, and they would all just agree on things, and I would write it down. So so 25% of you want to get off the street. Right. And the next 25% would like to get off the street if they saw that it was easy for the first 25% to get off. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. So a lot of that drug use is coping, mm -hmm. uh, coping with life just being hard. Yeah, for sure. And they want to quit, but life is just too hard. So if they saw that it was really easy for the first quarter of everybody to get off the street, they'd lay down the drugs so they can be in the next number and get helped. People say that. That's true. Because from knowing, knowing pretty, pretty well how that world works, um, most of the time it's a choice. But depending on the mental situation, some people don't have free will, I would say, because stuff isn't firing properly. Right. But the uh, if it were easy, they would do it. It's like, well, yeah, man, life's hard anyway. I mean, you know, it sucks paying your car note. It sucks, like, putting gas in your car and, like, paying for bills. But, you, I mean, it's like you either have to do that or you – so I don't know. It's a uh, – sucks but i'm glad you're doing something thanks because it definitely um when you were talking that night at the meeting i was like wow i'm not doing anything like that so it just kind of like inspired me to like want to start maybe learning more and figuring things out more and how i could try to start being a positive influence in the city because i mean i love this city too it's my city and i was like oh there's somebody else out there doing trying to do amazing things because it's amazing to me so since you started, you said we have a ton of organizations and those are all nonprofit, correct? They're all For nonprofit the and I started going and reaching out to them too, one by one. Have you thought about starting one? I have thought about starting one. and At this point, I thought you would have had like four. 
like different variations. Cause I mean, you, you know, you could sell clothes or you could do that. Like you could, I, I feel like you could put something together. I haven't quite figured out what I want to do with it all yet. Yeah. Um, I think, so I did meet with a couple of individuals. We had a, there was a couple of directors of nonprofits that I would talk to and I would ask them what their biggest holdup is. Mm-hmm. You know, why is it, what would help it run smoother? And everybody was answering funding. Right. Um, they all compete for federal funds and they spend a lot of time writing grants and they have to resubmit every year. So funding is a big issue. And I had talked to another um, outreach individual who has been doing this way longer than I have. And I asked her what I should be doing and where, where I should be directed. Cause I'm just going out to the middle of the park and just yeah. interviewing people constantly and just getting more information every day. And she said, keep doing that. That's working. Um, to have somebody advocate for them um, and share their stories. I think that's what we need more of somebody going talking to them regularly and just seeing how they can guide them a little bit right just to get the next step done because a lot of them don't have driver's licenses and sometimes you can't get breakfast if you don't have a driver's license gotcha you definitely can't get mail right there was a day i picked up a guy and brought him to get an outfit of clothes because he stated that he had to have a clean set of clothes to go into the shelter Mm. to take a shower and get into the shelter so i got him a clean set of clothes dropped him off at the shelter and traded my phone number with him and within a couple days he was calling me telling me he was having trouble getting his federal social security card that was the next step he was at and what he was explaining to me i couldn't understand over the phone i said you know what i'll be there tomorrow i'm gonna pick you up and i'm gonna go in the social security office with you and I just wanted to hear what his holdup was. Yeah. And so I got her to explain some of it to me. There is a federal law that says you're allowed 10 Social Security cards. Okay. And after that, you need a letter of hardship stating why you need more, <laughs> why you need another one. And we go back to them thieving from each other constantly and right. stealing each other's IDs. Yeah. So he was just tapped they, out. They, they're all, they've all gone through their 10 count. Damn. That's, steal a social security card. That's so wild. So it might take a whole day for him to plan this out, another yeah. whole day to make his way down to the social security office, only to be turned away. All right. You know, thinking in his head, okay, I got it today. I got it together. I'm going to get this done, accomplished, and... He had already lined up a job within, you know, hours of going into the shelter. And so he was getting things done one by one. Yeah, he was, yeah. And he needed the social security card so he can sign on his W-2 and start getting paid. Are there programs out there or nonprofits that kind of like, like for instance, you're, you're interviewing somebody and you see like, these people want to get off the street. Is there something out there that might be able to help start relocating them to getting that to happen? Like getting them the proper criteria and like saying like, Hey, you know, you like maybe even like build a facility where people almost like a halfway house. Yeah. You know, like when you get out of rehab, they usually put you in a halfway house 
sober living house you know you're monitored and you got to take drug tests but like they give you a chance to get a job and you yeah. know because you got a lot of people that get out of rehab or jail you can't get any of those things and it's almost like they're kind of rehabilitating you to go back into the world yeah so is there something like that for them so most of the nonprofits do all of those things okay we have over 2,000 unsheltered in the city mm -hmm. that are looking for housing mm -hmm. and we're in an affordable housing crisis there is no affordable housing in new orleans all right so most of them 1500 about are in shelters and all the social workers are in there doing all those things but there's just not enough help right. for 1500 people yeah. to get all those things that's a lot yeah i mean it's it's a lot I, th I think you should do your uh, vlogging like we talked about earlier. Yeah. And because um, I think that would take off to where maybe you could have a different influence and get people. Because, you know, people love giving money away. Yeah. I don't know if you know that. Like people love donating to a good cause or they love donating to something that's like helping. So if somebody saw, you know, your thing and it was blowing up and it was obviously <clears throat> for all the right reasons. I mean, inevitably somebody's going to like it's going to create and make money. Yeah, so we do need more um, donations towards all yep. the nonprofits that are doing this. How, how can people, as far as like reaching out to stuff like that, where do you direct them to? Um, I started serving breakfast at Grace in the Greenlight. Mm -hmm. um, they send some people home. They have a going home program where, where if somebody, a friend or a family member is willing to take them, um, they will bus them out of town and send them over to their friend's house and they'll check up with them for the next couple of months. Oh wow. So there's a program. And really, since we're at an affordable housing crisis in New Orleans, right. that seems to be the only option right now, Yeah, is to help them find housing somewhere else. And I don't know what all the nonprofits do, but I know they're all, they're all in need of volunteers and funding. So gotcha. to donate to a nonprofit that's helping would make a big difference. That's, that's, that's a start. Yeah. And we were trying to rewrite the story. So when we were sitting in Duncan Plaza last year, we were just discussing what would be, what's the ideal situation if, if it was here today, yeah. what would it look like? Mm -hmm. And we talked about having one place, just one place where you can go to get your driver's license, your social security card, your food stamps your homeless letter vouchers, um, Medicaid, just to get everything set up in one place mm -hmm. so you didn't have to walk across town to get the next thing. Right. And that's talking about putting federal, state, and city. In one building. In one building. Is that taboo? I don't think it's taboo. No. No. I like the idea. One-stop shop. One stop shop. Even I think it's just if it's just a liaison from the Social Security office that has the authority to to give out, or it, maybe even just order it. Say come back and get it. I'll fill out your paperwork. Bring it back to home base. Right. Come back and pick it up later. Yeah, my um, my, one of my buddies, Justin Hemel, shout out. He uh, started a nonprofit for feeding people under the bridge, toys, all that stuff. And um, I think this is his third year doing it but um gonna try to like 
you know, spread him. I'm going to have him and his buddy come on and talk about it too. So there are other people out there trying to do what you're doing. And um, it's just kind of sad to see that there's not more people trying to do it. <laughs> or like, uh, like, how do you feel about like, you know, I know we're not supposed to talk too much about like work, but like, how do you feel like the city, do you feel like they have a lot of say in this or is it kind of like it has nothing to do with the city? Like, what would be like the next step? Like, who should we talk to? So when I started reaching out to all the directors, mm -hmm. um, I think word started getting around that <laughs> I, I was kind of looking to talk to all the directors and to try and get this figured out. And when I reached out to downtown development district, mm -hmm. they were in charge of uh, keeping the park clean okay. where we were starting to gather and yeah. we were kind of taking over their space because I was interviewing all, all day long That's in the wild. pavilion and uh, I just kind of needed my space to work and they needed their space to sit still and um, I was emailing DDD and they were more than happy to help and start reaching out to the city to see how we can really push this ball moving forward and start getting more collaboration, getting all the nonprofits to work together, talk together, um, start working on these grants so we can fill in the gaps. Right. And um, I had reached out to Regional Transit Authority, who was looking to help in any way they could. So we had a couple of organizations that went to City Hall and was addressing city council and the directors in city hall to see what the next step was. So they did create a director of homeless services and strategies position for the city that has taken over, um, really coordinating this effort to make sure that, first of all, they're getting cool water. Right, right now we're in this extreme heat wave that we've never seen before. So making sure that their safety is number one, that um, we know that they're waking up. Right. Uh, if they're choosing to um, do certain things to cope throughout the day, that they're going to get up off the ground off after it. Right. Um, that's number one. We have a lot of people that aren't going in shelters, so keeping them hydrated right now is very extreme. Uh, our homeless director is Nathaniel Fields. He is out. passing out water every single morning. He works seven days a week, wow. probably 15 hours a day. He works tirelessly to create this strategy or implement his strategy. Right. And he has been existential to, to really bring this to a position where we need to be in. What's like your hope? Like, let's do like a little three month goal. What's like your next hope for the next three months? Like on your journey with this? Because, you know, we talked in the lounge. It seems like you have a lot of irons in the fire, a lot of cool stuff happening. But like, what is like the main thing that you're like, hey, you know what, I'm gonna do this and try to like attack this and hopefully it pans out in three, four months or five months. So every day is go mode. Mm -hmm. I'll probably wake up at five, six in the morning with just my mind racing with, you know, do this, this and that. And it's constantly changing. I can do it that day or not. Um, sometimes I follow instructions and just say, okay, it's time to feed breakfast, you know, so it's 
um, after about a year of interviewing the homeless and reaching out to the directors, I wanted to start really volunteering with the nonprofits, getting to know the social workers and the outreach workers who right. have been doing this for years on end, as well as getting to know the individuals, uh, the the 500 individuals that are not in shelters, that are living out um, under the bridges and in the parks, but getting to know them all personally, uh, starting with their names and sitting down and hearing their stories. I think we need more of that. How many people have you interviewed? Have you kept count? Um, well, in depth, I'd say maybe 35 okay you know because a lot of those 35 we have these relationships so i'll go back to the same people over and over again and we'll catch up and there's always the next step so once you get to know somebody pretty well you know that they're um they have a good heart they're they have a lot of information to share a lot of things have happened throughout the week so just like the social workers have a, a list of the amount yeah. of people that they can handle at one time, I'm kind of in that boat. You know, I right. can't, I can't talk to all 500. Yeah, I mean, that's you know? that's that's kind of what I was going to ask you. I was like, how close did you get to that many uh, interviews? So I have started considering to to bring a camera out there with me. I think you should. Yeah, and um, and even, even if we got to come help you do it, and start moving on, you know interview more than just 35 and start getting their stories out so we can advocate for them. Yeah. I would like to possibly figure out a a time on my schedule right now to maybe help you do that one day a week or, you know, even if it's every two weeks or something to like, you know, figure that out with you. Cause I mean, you can't do it all. I can't do it all. And there are some nonprofits that are doing that too. Mm -hmm. So all hands on deck at this point. Yeah. Do you, have hope that it's going to get better or do you feel like it's because you know in your speech you said a lot of powerful stuff but and and this goes like globally you know worldwide you know all that stuff do you feel like it's going to get better like sooner or, or we have a lot of work to do or i think it's all a matter of faith if you believe it will yeah it can yes if you believe it won't it won't. It's pretty crazy that uh, that stems from COVID for you. <laughs> when we were talking earlier, I was like, oh, wow. I was not expecting you to say all that. And it just kind of blew my mind, you know. Because you just hear the prophetic speech part. Mm-hmm. Um, the part where I feel like I can't talk about all the negativeness. Right. And the writing it can go in two directions. It can go into all this is happening and we need this. Yeah. Or it can go into let's go in this direction. Let's let's come together. Let's really break it down to the root causes of homelessness because it's not just an affordable housing crisis and it's not just a behavioral health crisis. It's why are they doing drugs? What have they gone through in their life that have that has been so traumatic where they have to do stuff that can kill them any day now. Yeah. Um, and how can we lend a hand or reach out to that person and let them know it's going to be okay and I'm going to help you and we're going to get through this together? Where's that least common denominator? Is it just 
accepting that person as another human being, regardless of whether they had a shower or a meal today. Right. Um, not avoiding them on the street and just treating them like anybody else. If we would get to that point, I think they would feel better about themselves because it's hard to feel important when the world looks at you as a burden. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of them work on bicycles stolen or not, but yeah. they use that to keep their minds busy and their hands busy to where they're not going to use constantly. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly looking for something to give them a purpose. So that tells me that they need more direction. Yeah. They need things put in front of them and life is hard. Yeah. And some of these people have been through more traumatic events than I can imagine. I think it would be a little fair to lay a road for them and to guide them through it. That's why I, you know, <clears throat> first thing in my head pops up is this like building that's like trying to recruit isn't the right word, but like to to help like if somebody walks in there homeless and says, "Hey, I want to get my life back. How do I do that?" kind of help them do it. You know, yeah. like, I mean, it's, we spend a lot of crazy money on a lot of crazy shit in the world. And I don't understand why that's like, not something that's like just being implemented all the time. You know, like we're trying to build rockets to go to Mars, but there's 2000 people living in the city right now under the bridge. Like you said, maybe not all 2000, but I get what you're saying. Cause I see it every day too. Yeah. And I'm like, why wouldn't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not a billionaire, but I just know that. I, I would definitely make use with my money differently if, if I had the means to make some changes, you know? Yeah. I don't know. It's so crazy. It's got my, got my wheels turning now though. I think so. we're all coping with things in our own ways and half the time we don't even realize it. Oh yeah. So when I was running with my eBay store, mm-hmm. that was my way of shopping Yeah. without keeping it for myself and making a profit out of it. Yeah. But that was part of my coping was getting out the house and doing something and just trying to be busy. Right. Um, that kept my mind in a good place. And I think a lot of people have shopping habits. Oh yeah. Just cause they want more, they want something better. And that's trying to fill a void where you're not satisfied. A lot, a lot of times we're feeling we're just not satisfied and we need more. Yeah. And it I, could. I think that's the the American dream. Unfortunately, it's like, oh yeah, you can have everything you want as much as you want, and then like you just realize, like, oh shit, well I have everything, I'm still not happy, you know. But when I went to Vietnam one time, and I seen a very old man shirtless, eating food off the street with chopsticks, and he was very skinny, and I was just kind of like, do I really need to go buy clothes? Do I really like you know what I mean? Like when you see like third world country shit like that it's like whoa i'm bitching about stuff back home and and this guy is literally like eating off the freaking concrete yeah and um you know when i came back from that trip i definitely it's kind of ever since i mean it's been a few years now but uh i don't know i've never kind of like looked at everything the same anymore because i feel like i don't need any of this shit and um 
I try to be pretty minimal with things that I buy now. And I probably do give more shit away than I keep, which is cool because that's what you're supposed to do anyway. Uh, that's what they say. So I don't know. I mean, hopefully with this podcast, um, eventually I'll be able to start doing cooler things like that too because that's like one of my goals is to like help others as much as I can and um, meeting people like you, networking, learning, going, oh, okay, well, she knows this person. Well, <clears throat> I know this person. Well, you know, and so hopefully we could start like making – a change like that too within the city yeah you know meeting other people like us yeah covid definitely separated all of us and kept us it from did. socializing and now it we're did. on the other end of that like i need to reach out more and i need to meet more people so i know what's going on what, what did you call it in the meeting uh divert not divergent what did you say this country divided we're divided and that i don't know why well i mean i know why because I feel it, like I felt exactly how you feel. And I was like, that's literally what I'm thinking all the time. And it's sad because, you know, the homeless problem, I would say, is uh, that's all because people are so divided. Like people drive past those people yep. and they're like, oh, and it's like, well, what if that was like your aunt or your uncle? But I would never be my uncle. You don't know that. That's somebody's uncle. That's somebody's mom. Somebody's mom. Somebody's brother, sister, daughter. You know, so and and like you said, that made it very clear for me. It's like, you know, you could be one wreck away or one paycheck away. You know, my mom says that all the time. She's like, shit, we're like one paycheck away from that. I'm like, what? But yeah, it's uh it's possible. Um, so how can people find you if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to reach out to you to try to like help? Like what's a uh good is, is it like Instagram or Facebook? Yeah, reach out to me on Instagram. I think okay. you have it posted yeah, on yeah, there, yeah. so that yeah, works. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, re I really appreciate you coming on tonight and uh, sharing, and I am going to start making it a priority to try to contribute to what you're doing, or maybe I can make myself as used to you, and um, we'll talk about that later. Um, look forward to seeing you in the meeting next week. Absolutely. And, um if you guys like this episode, please, you know, hit that like button, subscribe and share button. And um, hope you guys got something out of Casey's story because I know I did. And uh, we'll see you all next time. Thank you. Thank you, Casey.